This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. So grateful to be worshiping with you, Calvary. My name is Zach Thompson, and I'm on staff here. We're going through this series that we're calling Beyond Blue. We're in this particular time of hurt. There's so much in our world that fills us with with pain, with anxiety, with despondency, so many emotions that we would have never wished for. We're also in a particular season of hurt. This time of year can be one of melancholy as, as goals from last year were not met, and now we're supposed to be setting new ones. And this is coming after a couple years that have been really difficult, and this has had a huge impact on us. And because of that, we want to look at the stories that God has given us in his word that's full of people who cry like us, who worry like us, who scream and yell like us, who hurt like us, and who doubt like us. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is John the Baptist. In the Old Testament, God spoke through some incredible men and women of faith. And and while all of that was happening, people kept turning away from him. They kept refusing to listen to his voice. And we get to this point where God stops speaking. But in the very first pages of the New Testament, God speaks to John's parents. He speaks to Jesus' parents. And then he starts speaking through John himself. And people start to notice there is something different about this guy. And I don't just mean because he was wearing weird clothes and eating bugs. No, he spoke with boldness. He was calling people back to God to to turn to him, to stop living apart from him. He was speaking with such clarity, living his entire life for this God that people were realizing that and were flocking to him. He went toe-to-toe with the leaders of the day, calling them out on their hypocrisy, showing where they were more concerned with holding and abusing power than using it for the ways God had intended for them. uh, John spoke with such boldness, and people were coming to him to hear. Until we got to the place where that boldness, that holding firmly to God's word, to unwaveringly following after him and him alone, got John thrown into jail. But he was, he was fine. He was not the guy. His job was to point to the guy. He knew what his role was. He said that you can throw me in jail, Herod Antipas, you evil, evil man, but the one who is coming after me will hold everyone accountable for their sins. You can treat me like this, but Jesus has come. This is how John announced uh, what Jesus would be like, this one who is coming after him. Uh, In Matthew 3, uh, verse 12, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. So those who are faithful to God, he will bring into his presence, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Those who do not live by faith, those who turn away from this God, there will be punishment as justice is brought into this world, as things are made right. So John is looking for that day when those who want nothing to do with God, who turn away from him, those who John was calling out, when they would be punished for what they were doing. 
John is still in jail. And Herod Antipas is still sleeping with his brother's wife. And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about this. So doubts start to creep in. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. It says, And now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus, I had put my faith in you, but maybe you weren't the one that I should have been expecting. I held firmly to the way God set before me, but instead of getting rewarded for that, I'm being punished, it seems. Jesus, I did my part. I baptized you, but you were supposed to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. When I was arrested, not only did you not do anything about it, you left town, you bailed. Maybe you weren't the one that I should have been waiting for. As doubts creep in, as beliefs are now questioned, as what was once boldness is now hesitancy to not get hurt, to not be wrong, to not be disappointed. As doubts seep in in times like this. Doubts come to us in these moments that are so difficult. Doubts cause so many questions to be asked. And we might say, well, sure, John the Baptist is now in jail. It's, it's only natural for him to be asking questions about what it is that, that got him there. But this is John the Baptist. He, God is speaking through him after years of silence. He is holding unwaveringly to live the way that, that God has called him to live. Jesus himself describes John in, in this way in Matthew eleven eleven. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is the one who was promised. All of the Old Testament has been building to John the Baptist coming, arriving, and announcing the Messiah. Everything has been building to this point. And Jesus says, no one greater has been born of a woman than him. John the Baptist looks at your world's greatest boss mug and just laughs because his says world's greatest human. And yet that guy had doubts. Even he had questions. Even he had, uh, had concerns about what was going on. In the times that, that are so difficult, we add to our difficulty. One, one of the, the worst things is when we're suffering hardship is it's never just the hardship that we're going through. It's never just the pain that we're experiencing it. With John, his, his problems were not just that he was in jail, See, when we're in pain or suffering or hardship, we always add to that as well. People uh, don't understand or, or they're getting fatigued by being around us and our hurt. So now we're adding isolation to our list of problems. We have expectations that we put on other people or onto ourselves and doesn't come through. And now we're disappointed as well. Pain is often a wound to our pride because we weren't able to stop this. We, we couldn't have done anything to prevent this. Things were more out of our control than we realized or than we were willing to admit. And doubt in these moments seeps in as we start to ask questions of things that we once believed 
that we once thought were certain, and now we're just not so sure anymore. See, doubts find us when times are hard. Doubts find us when times are hard. We see that in the life of John the Baptist, who went from boldness to bindings. He went from the Jordan to jail. He went from prophet to prisoner. And what was once so certain, well, now he's just not so sure anymore. And John is far from the only person in in the Bible to have doubts when times were difficult. I think of Abraham. God says, I will make you into a great nation. Well, how can that possibly be when, when he doesn't even have a single child? Something must be wrong. Maybe God isn't going to do this for him. So Abraham takes things into his own hand out of his doubts, and he has a child with a woman who's not his wife. Doubts found him when times were hard, and how he responded to that made things so much worse. Israel was was waiting on Moses, but he's been gone for 40 days up this mountain, and it's terrifying, and doubts led to a golden calf. I think of Saul who's, who's waiting on Samuel and yet he's not showing up and the people are leaving. He has to do something. He's so afraid. He's so full of doubt. And so he breaks the commandment from God and he offers a sacrifice himself and doubt led to the downfall of his reign. Doubts find us when times are hard. And it's so awful that we for some reason think that we aren't allowed to show our doubts to other people. We aren't allowed to let people see our weaknesses, that Christians have to look like they have it all together, that they don't have these questions about God. The reason why this is awful is first, one, it proves that we don't read our Bibles because God's people are a doubting people throughout the scriptures. But, But two, it removes us from our ability to help each other because God's people are still doubting constantly. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about this? I thought you would have fixed all of this by now, but but clearly you're not going to. I I thought that you would have uh, been different. Why are you allowing all of this to happen? Why aren't you doing anything about all of this? Why, God, why? In times of hardship, we asked questions like this. We have concerns like this. We have uh, these, these serious doubts that we have. And if left unattended, these doubts develop into so much worse. So the pain that we're going through is never just about the pain. The doubts can lead to despair, to unbelief, to sapping us of, of all hope, to us getting to a point where we just think following after this God is is not possible anymore. And it's never the doubts that push us to these decisions, but it's how we respond to these doubts that make all the difference. Back to John the Baptist, he he showed his doubts to Jesus and, and Jesus does not leave him in his doubts. The question was, am I the one Well, here's what Jesus says in in Matthew 11, verse 4. He says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, even John, had doubts find him when times were hard. And he, like like all of us, he was judging God by the circumstances around him. And and in doing so, he was missing the work that God was actually doing. He was looking for the day that those that he spoke up against, that those who were going against God, that while he was faithfully living after him, he saw Jesus not judging their sins, bringing justice into this world. And yet what Jesus is doing is he's, First, doing all of these miracles, which were signs in the Old Testament pointing to the Messiah. So am I the Messiah? I'm doing all the right work. But more important than that, every single one of these is undoing some of the evil that is in this world. So essentially, Jesus is saying to John, John, you wanted this world to be made right. Well, look at what I'm doing. I am making all things new. Doubt finds us when times are hard. And how we respond to doubt makes all the difference because doubt has the ability to sap us of hope, to abandon all that we believe in, to give up on everything. And if we doubt something as big as the person and work of Jesus, then it completely shatter our world around us. So why is there doubt then? If it's something that's so damaging to us, why doesn't God just include with the Holy Spirit some sort of doubt blocker? Why does this exist? Well, doubt can be good. Doubt exists because we've been created curious. We have this beautiful world that, that God has made us in, and, and we explore that. We get to experience that and experience in Him through our curiosity. And He's also made us discerning, that, that we're able to see what is good for us, what is beneficial, and, and to cut out those that are not. Doubt happens when our curiosity and, and discerningness comes together, but, but we run into problems when our curiosity creates uh, insufficient hypotheses in which we falsely discern that our circumstances do not align with God's character. That, that's just a convoluted way of saying doubt finds us when times are hard, and we don't have a way to explain it. But proper doubt can be such a good thing for us. Doubt enables me to to know what to do in the situation where I get a robot voice on the other side of this phone call wanting to talk to me about my car's extended warranty. Joke's on you, bud. I can't afford an extended warranty. Doubt helps us to figure out the truth when when, uh, that a alien did not come and take the last cookie with its tractor beam, despite that being what this child with crumbs all over his face is saying that he saw happen. But more than that, Doubt can actually help us grow closer to God because as we are questioning what is true, it drives us to the God who is truth. I like how uh, Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, the heart that has never doubted has not yet learned to believe. As the farmers say, the land that will not grow a thistle will not grow wheat. In other words, it's far more dangerous to not have doubts than to have them. Well, why is that? 
Well, doubts demonstrate a mind that is pursuing after God and trying to align itself with him. Doubts demonstrate that we are looking at this world and trying to square it with God's nature. When we don't have doubts about God, it more often reveals that we actually don't have thoughts about God. And doubts can help us remove some of these things that we believe about him that actually aren't true. It can, it can bring us closer to following after the actual God of the Bible when we are questioning things that, that we thought we knew about him, but actually aren't about him. We created them. We thought them. We were taught them, but they're not actually about God. And doubts help us strip all of that away so that we can be close to him, so that we can align ourselves to him. See, doubts were never the issue. Doubts find us when times are hard, but, but experiencing doubt does not mean that we have a lack of faith or that we aren't doing the right thing or that God has turned his back on us or, or anything like that. Instead, doubts give us an opportunity to respond in the right and proper way, and the result of that could be drawing nearer to him. Well, then how are we to respond to doubt. If how we respond is the most important piece to it, what do we do when we have those questions that we've said? What do we do when we're making statements about God that, that we don't like how they're sounding or they, they just feel so true to us, but, but we don't know how to, to get past these things? How do we respond in times of doubt? Well, first is don't doubt alone. Don't doubt alone. It's such a tragedy that we have it in church culture that we have to look like we have everything put together, that we're not allowed to ask questions because that, that shows our weakness, that shows that we're not a very good Christian, but that's not the case whatsoever. In the circumstances that we're not allowed to ask questions, when we're not allowed to show our doubts, we're actually pushing people closer to despair. And that's not what we want. So find people, get in a group, talk to men and women older than you in, in the faith to see how they have navigated their doubts, because here's the thing, they've had them. Do whatever we can to make sure that we're not going through doubt alone. Second way we respond is uh, in, in the times that we're asking questions about who God is, what he's like, we need to remember how God has worked in our, in our past, in the past uh, of human history, and we need to celebrate those things. When we're questioning, is God good? Well, let's remind ourselves of how God has shown his goodness to us. When we are wondering, does God even care about what's going on? Well, let's recall the moments that God has demonstrated his love for us. Now, here's the thing. In the midst of doubt, that is so difficult to do. It is difficult to think of these good things from God when everything just feels so broken. So what was step one again? We don't doubt alone. In the moments when we cannot recall God's goodness and his love and his care uh, for us, we need others to help lighten the load and point us back to Jesus. Similar to that, we need to fill ourselves with truth. We need to remind ourselves of who this God is. In, in the questions of, uh, I did not think that you would be like this, or wondering, God, why are you like this at all? We need to go back to the text of scripture to remind ourselves of who this God is. In the times of doubt, we need more of the Bible, not less of it. 
Because oftentimes when we're doubting, we're actually doubting a form of God that we've created unknowingly. God, I thought you would never allow this to happen to your people. We're actually never promised that. But as we go back to the text of scripture to see who this God is, we're reminded that he gives us better promises, that he's with us always, that he will restore and bring justice to this world, that he is making things new, that, that he has uh, gone ahead of us in all pain and suffering. He can sympathize in all these things, which are better promises to us. So we need to fill ourselves with truth. It reminds me of uh, what C.S. Lewis says uh, elsewhere on a different topic, but I, I think it relates here. He says, this is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other automatically remains alive in the mind. It must be fed. That is true of Christians at all times, but it's especially true in doubt. When we don't feel like feeding the truth that we have about God, we very much so need to be filling ourselves with truth in those moments. We got to go slow. Uh, we might read the story of John the Baptist and it might fill us with anger. He expressed his doubts to Jesus and he got a response. Sure, it wasn't the response he was expecting, but man, must be nice. He got something. So often, uh, here that is bordering on uh, always, uh, our doubts are not resolved overnight. Sometimes it could be years or it could feel like years of pursuing after God, of, of working through these doubts. And that's why we need these steps. We can have wisdom or we can have speed. We can't have both. And I find so much encouragement in the story of Thomas, probably our most famous doubter, who is told by the disciples that Jesus has been resurrected. And he says, unless if I see the wounds and touch the wounds, I will never believe. Such a strong statement there. And we often skip over that to where Jesus appears to him and he believes and it's great. But, but we miss a verse in there in John 20. It says, eight days later. Eight days. Tell me that wouldn't feel like an eternity. Eight days of being around these other disciples who are saying Jesus is alive, but being filled with doubts. Eight days of seeing them worship, but not feeling that there's anything to worship because you're still thinking that the Messiah that you thought was is dead. Eight days of feeling like the odd man out before Jesus comes to him. It's just got to feel like an eternity. And when Jesus does appear, there's no scolding, there's no shames, there's no, oh man, Thomas, look how much better it would have been if he just believed more. No, no, no. It's the reminder that now he knows Jesus better because he has gone through this time of doubt. How we respond to doubt is the most important thing. We don't doubt alone. We remember and celebrate. We fill ourselves with truth. We, we go slow. And we remember that doubt is not the end. That doubt is not the opposite of belief. We have a word for that. It's unbelief. It's not the word doubt. But doubt is an opportunity for us to grow stronger in faith, to grow closer to God. And as we doubt in the midst of pain and hardship, we join a long line of doubters before us. Abraham, John the Baptist, Charles Spurgeon, and least, least uh, likely to be included in any list with those three guys, me. 
every time I, I experience some hardship, big or small, I feel I'm having to go through the same doubts over and over again. But how grateful are we to have a God who is bigger than our doubts? How grateful are we to have a church where it's safe to share our struggles, our disappointments, our hurts, and to come along each other and point each other to Jesus? How grateful are we to have a hope that is unwavering because it's not built on any of our efforts, on anything that we've done, on our ability to dispel doubts, on just believing really, really hard, on looking like the perfect Christian who has it all together? No, no, no. Our hope is built on Jesus, who John doubted, who Thomas doubted, who everyone has doubted. And yet, despite all that, he faithfully came to seek and save the lost, the doubter. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you do not shy away or scold or balk at our doubts You continue to pour on grace. You continue to remind us of those who have gone before us, those who are around us, and those who will come after us, who are going through times of hurt. But it's never just about the pain that we're going through. We add to it. And doubt finds us in times of pain and hurt. We are grateful for this church that you've led us to where we can uh, safely go through those doubts. We are grateful for the steps that you've given us in scripture to go beyond our doubts. We are grateful that these things that we so do not wish for, we don't want these questions, we don't like them, it feels like our world around us is shaking and yet you use those moments to bring us closer to you. Not an idea of you, not some thoughts that we might have had about you, not some traditions of you that we're hanging on to, but you bring us back to you, the one and only God. Help us in these times to continue to pursue you because where else could we go? Only you have the words of life. It's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.